1793. The French Revolution rages on. The governments decided that now that they've done away with the living king and queen, they'll desecrate the graves of the dead ones. In the process that followed, one of the king's heads may have started a very long journey into a Paris bank vault. Join me as we take a trip through time with Henry IV's mummified skull. Welcome to this episode of Paris Gone By, the Parisian history podcast for the curious traveler. I'm Michelle, your host and guide to the Paris of the past. As I was putting this episode together, I realized that even though I'm only 10 episodes in, this is the third one dealing with dead bodies. I swear that this isn't that genre of podcast, but I think the mystery of Henry IV's mummified skull was just so perfect for Halloween, I couldn't resist. So who was Henry IV or Henri IV, and why is his head supposedly having an adventurous afterlife? Let's take a look. Henri IV came to the throne in the middle of the wars of religion in the 16th century. He was born Catholic but raised Protestant. Because Salic law in France prevented women or even men descended from the female lines to inherit the throne, our Henri was up to bat. He was already actually King of Navarre, which is a small kingdom between France and Spain, which is now split between the two countries. He was the rightful heir to the French throne by law. He was also already married to the daughter of the previous king, Marguerite de Valois. On paper, he should have had an easy time sliding into that role, except for that whole pesky Protestant thing. Before becoming King of France, he had already rejoined the Catholic Church and a abandon it again to go back to being a Protestant. And it's a pretty crazy story, so let's take a look. Supposedly, thanks to Marguerite, his new bride, he survived the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, which was the famous mass slaughter of French Protestants that occurred just days after Henri and Marguerite's wedding in 1572. He had converted to Catholicism after that massacre, kind of under duress for his own safety, and he was held captive at the French court for several years. But he finally escaped Paris in 1576, so four years later, and returned to the Protestant faith. And so he was living and fighting from the Protestant strongholds around La Rochelle and Tours. After nine years of fighting the Protestant Huguenot fight, things came to a head between our Henri the current king of France, also named Henri, Henri III, or Henry III, and Henri de Lorraine, Duke de Guise. So yes, three Henri's, three Henry's. If the Guise name seems a little familiar, this is because Henry's aunt was the mother of Mary, Queen of Scots. So this Henry, Duke de Guise, is Mary's first cousin, thus also related to the Tudors and the Stuarts up in England and Scotland. And Mary, Queen of Scots, was married to Henri III's older brother, Francois II, uh, or Francis II. So this is a tight-knit group of cousins and in-laws battling it out in what became known as the War of the Three Henrys. Great name. It was basically a cousin's war and a war of religion wrapped up into one nasty bit of violence and literal backstabbing. After two years, our champ, Henri de Navarre, went out by virtue of the other contenders being assassinated. The Duc de Guise, 
was the first assassinated. And then upon Henri III's assassination, Henri IV, our boy, became king in 1589. After four years of battling of his right to retain the throne, he finally reconverted to Catholicism. And this is that famous moment where he supposedly said, Paris is well worth a mass. He was finally able to kind of settle in as king. He authorized the Edict of Nantes, which legalized Protestantism in France while retaining Catholicism as the state religion, the official religion. For this and for his efforts to improve the lives of ordinary French folks, he is known to us as Le Bon Noir or the Good King, or even Henri Le Grand or Henry the Great. Because of his romantic activities, however, he is also known as the Verte Galant or the Green Gallant. The blog Bonjour de Plus à Prairie, I think, had the best translation for this. It's an expression which reminds us of the unconditional love that the king had for the fairer sex until the end of his life. He loved the ladies and had as many as perhaps 50 known mistresses. He really set that bar high for his bourbon descendants and Louis XIV and Louis XV definitely lived up to that reputation. He also annulled in this time period his first marriage to Marguerite de Valois because it was not producing any heirs and he ended up marrying Marie de Medici. They would go on to have a number of children, including the future Louis XIII. But it all came to a rather abrupt end when poor Henri was assassinated on May 14, 1610, by a Catholic zealot named Francois Ravaillac at the age of 57. His coach was caught in a traffic jam caused by the Queen Marie de Medici's coronation ceremony. She had not been crowned at the time of their marriage, so this was finally making her a crowned queen instead of just the wife of the king. And this ceremony had occurred the day before, on May 13th, meaning that now she would ascend to the regency over young Louis XIII and their other children should something happen to Henri. A regent's power is much, much more than just a plain old queen's power. And that something happened to Henri very conveniently, the very next day, lots of uh, question marks even at the time about what happened, but that's a story for another time. We now begin the journey of Henri's body. He was embalmed and prepared for the grave and was buried about seven weeks after his death in the traditional resting place of the kings at the Basilica of Saint-Denis outside of Paris. And here he rested until 1793, when the revolution came calling for all of them, the government, and I, I use that term loosely, uh, decided to celebrate the one-year anniversary of the birth of the First Republic by desecrating the graves of all the royals buried at Saint-Denis, yeah, as you do. These burials covered over a thousand years of history, starting with Dagobert I, who had died in 639. This dude predated Charlemagne. So much royal tradition there at Saint-Denis, which of course is why it was a target for the revolutionaries. Starting in August of 1793 and then really picking up steam by October of that year, the bodies were transferred from their tombs into mass graves outside of the church. The popular image of this event is that it was just a mob, you know, storming Saint-Denis and going hog wild in there, but it was actually more organized than that. The Republic was big on bureaucracy, some things don't change, 
And there were some records made of the proceedings, including the state of each body and what was taken from each tomb. In this case, it was either going to be melted down, the lead coffins were destined to become, you know, bullets and other material. Others, more valuable items, uh, jewelry, etc., were added to the Republic's treasury. Henri's body was apparently in a remarkable state of preservation, so much so that they supposedly made a new death mask from his well-preserved face as evidence of this. They even then propped up his body for two days on display before adding him to a mass grave. And here's where it gets a little weird. Or weirder? There are multiple stories of varying degrees of interaction with Le Bonnois' body. Everything from a soldier cutting off his mustache, Henri was fully bearded at death, the soldier claiming it was a good luck charm. This was actually recorded in the official records of the proceedings, so it probably did happen. Other stories include his body being slashed to pieces, his head, or rather a head that was later attributed to being Henri's, was shown around as some sort of talisman next to the mass grave or even one of a necrophiliac act that must surely just be based on his reputation as the Vert Galant. I really genuinely hope it's not true. With the exception of the moustache, none of these were mentioned in the extant contemporary records, and we have no reason to believe that his whole body, including his noggin, didn't make it into the mass grave. Interesting side note here, though, that the revolutionaries were very keen on keeping the Valois line and the Bourbon line which started with Henri IV, separate. They were actually buried in separate grave pits, and Henri's first wife, she was not buried with Henri. I assume this is because the marriage was actually annulled, which meant that she was restored to being a Valois. It's unclear how well or how badly the bodies were treated as they were placed in their new graves. Considering the revolutionary glee and destroying anything royalty-related, I assume that, in general, this was not a, a gentle process for those bodies, especially also since they were removing any valuables from them. And to top it off, they used lime in the pit to hasten the deterioration of the bodies. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust, vit vit seems to have been the uh, order of the day. So time passes, Napoleon does his thing, and Louis XVIII, who is Louis XVI's brother, is now on the throne. He wants to honor his ancestors and have the bones dug up and placed back in Saint-Denis. And here's where it gets even weirder. The record shows that, not surprisingly, the remains are a jumbled mess within those graves. 24 years had passed, the ground had settled, and the lime had done its job. The excavation team did their best, though, apparently. They tried to count noses, at least, and match up all the bits and pieces as best they could. So here's one complete skeleton, here's another, here's another. In the Bourbon grave, Henri's grave, they came up a little bit short, though. Three bodies only had their lower halves. The upper halves were missing. The record is a little unclear what they mean by this, though, and it's been interpreted in two ways, that the full torso and head were missing or perhaps simply just the head. Louis XVI wasn't buried at Saint-Denis. He's buried elsewhere at that time. So this wasn't the result of la guillotine. These are genuinely missing either heads or upper bodies entirely. Could those torsos have been taken as trophies and not recorded in the official records? It seems a number of the Bourbon bodies were in a decent state of preservation at the time of their removal from the tombs which may have offered some pretty macabre 
temptation for those working in the graves. Or perhaps the lime had just really done its job very well in one part of the pit. Or maybe the torsos, through the settling of the soil, kind of wandered off beyond the walls of the excavated pits because the excavators did complain that there was quite a bit of settling. We also can't say which three bodies are missing their torsos, of course, because nobody knows who's matching up with whom. There's no confirmation that the torsos of, you know, X, Y, and Z individuals were missing, just simply that three sets of upper body bones are, are gone, right? They're not there. It's not even clear if the three bodies that are missing torsos were male. There were also queens and princesses mixed in those graves. Everything in the end was gathered up. They were put into family-specific tombs within Saint-Denis, and you can go visit those if you would like. So now we fast forward another century, and three mummified skulls have turned up in an auction. On Halloween, believe it or not, in 1919, a photographer named Joseph-Emile Bourdet purchased three anonymous skulls from the estate sale of Emma Nallet Poussin, who was a painter and sculptor. He supposedly bought these for three francs. Five years later, so 1924, he reads an article in La Gazette des Arts, or the Gazette of Arts, which convinces Bourdet that he has the skull of Henri IV. This poor man spends a lot of money and effort trying to prove this theory, and he ends up dying in 1946, failing to have sold the skull to the Louvre or any other museums, or really convince anyone that this is Henri. The skull ends up in the hands of his sister, who sold it to a Jacques Belanger, who was a tax collector and some sort of antiquities or kind of curiosities collector. She sold it to him in 1955. It is actually unknown, apparently, what happened to the other two skulls, so rest in peace, guys, whatever happened to you. Our skull ended up in Belanger's attic, where in about 2009, Belanger agrees to give it up for scientific study. So basically, 2010 is going to be the 400-year anniversary of Henri's assassination, and there's a lot of interest in sort of commemorating the king. And here's where things get a little fuzzy again in the record. Either Belanger directly bequeathed the skull to Louis de Bourbon, the Duc d'Anjou, who is actually part of the Spanish royal house because uh, the house of Bourbon lives on in the Spanish royal family. And then the Duke gave it over to researchers. Or Belanger gave the skull to Dr. Philippe Charlier first, who conducted a large number of experiments and tests on it before he gave it over to Duke Louis, who then put it into a bank vault in Paris for safekeeping. Either way, the skull is now supposedly just chilling out in a bank vault. Dr. Philippe Chalier is a very interesting character, in my opinion. He's known as the Indiana Jones of the cemetery, and the publication Le Point also states that Chalier has studied vampires in Transylvania. To me, this guy seems a little bit like a charlatan, but I'm a bit of skeptic when it comes to these sorts of relics anyway. And here, if it wasn't already crazy enough, the real craziness begins. Charlier's research in 2009 and 2010 concluded, quote, definitively, at least for him, that the head belonged to Henri, despite lack of DNA testing. Apparently, lead coffins make collecting good DNA evidence a little bit difficult. The skull does carbon date to the right period, according to Charlier, so this is 
think it was 1450 to 1650. It has some of the correct features, though some are in the wrong place. And the facial reconstruction, the uh, AI facial reconstruction, appears to match extant portraits of Henri. But pretty much as soon as Chalier's research was released, there was a public outcry against the legitimacy of the claims, including that lack of DNA testing. So the poor skull is taken out of its cushy bank vault, I assume it's being kept in comfort, and some material from inside the mummified throat, so little protected from the lead coffin, is removed and some very degraded DNA is located. This degraded DNA is tested against a handkerchief soaked supposedly in the blood of Louis XVI from his execution at the guillotine. Apparently, this was a popular keepsake at the time. This handkerchief had been stored in some sort of gourd vase or container for the better part of two centuries. But lo and behold, they are a very tentative match. Problem solved, at least as far as Charlier is concerned. Until, of course, another more rigorous DNA examination was made that basically said, short of there being several significant non-paternity events, so in this case the mom had a side piece, or even in one argument, a non-maternity event, meaning that the mom wasn't the mom, which is even harder to pull off, but not impossible. Both the skull and the handkerchief were considered spurious, compared to both DNA from living descendants of the Bourbon and from other historical DNA testing done on the House of Bourbon and the House of Habsburg. Henri's mom was a Habsburg, Marie Antoinette was a Habsburg. Part of the previous DNA testing involved Louis XVII's remains against living descendants and was confirmed. So they have kind of these multiple layers of historic DNA going on. So the questions continue. The skull remains in a bank vault and the fate of Henri's head remains a mystery. Is it the skull in the vault? Is it one of the many skulls that were reburied in Saint-Denis? Did it not survive at all between 1793 and 1817? Or is it just sitting in someone's private home somewhere unknown and unattributed? Personally, I think it's unlikely that the skull in the bank vault is Henry IV's skull. Considering the stories that were shared about the treatment of his body at the time, surely we would have a contemporary mention of the missing skull? Or is it all just a big cover-up? We learned in the Stolen Jewels episode that there was a lot of controversy and covering up going on in the revolutionary government. And this occurred at the peak of the terror. So things were, well, a little bit crazy. Terrible, we might say. The one thing that makes me think maybe is that carbon dating. I would like to see that testing repeated outside of Charlier's influence and see what comes back. However, if it's not part of one of the desecrated royal bodies, who else has lost their head? It has to be someone of influence to have been embalmed so well and in this way. So whose head's floating around out there? But what do you think? Is the head of the Vercalant chilling in a Parisian bank vault? He did seem to love Paris, so maybe he'd be okay with that. Or is he with the rest of his bones in Saint-Denis? And if not Henry, seriously, whose head is it? It's pretty weird. While we don't have access to the head in the bank vaults, for better or worse, you can still pay tribute to Le Bonnois by checking out some of the architecture that Henri built during his reign, which includes the Pont Neuf, which is the oldest bridge in Paris, even though its name is New Bridge, 
the Place Dauphine, which is just off of the bridge, it's beautiful, and the absolutely gorgeous Place de Vosges. You can also visit the location of his assassination near Léal, and you can pay tribute to Henri and the Kings of France by going to Saint-Denis, which is now in the suburbs of Paris. Personally, I love the Place de Vosges for the architecture, but Place Dauphine is more peaceful and it's a great place to grab a pot of tea, do a little journaling, and kind of watch the world go by. Thank you for following along with the unusual story of Henri's mummified skull. If you'd like to go deeper into this episode, read the blog, or explore more resources, please check out the website at parisgoneby.com. If you would like to support the effort to solve some of history's weirder mysteries, check out the options in the show notes. And if you loved what you heard, please do subscribe or leave a comment. It really does help bring PGB to the masses. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Halloween and have a great rest of your day. I'll be on top.